11. We're going to read the first 17 verses. Right, what, we're, what we're doing, and we'll, we're just going to get through numbers before summer and taking a break from this series, but uh, what we're doing is looking at how the whole Bible is one story that leads to Jesus. And so when you're in these really strange, maybe hard to understand passages in the Old Testament, somehow it is written for our instruction, uh, for our training in righteousness, but it's also first and foremost pointing us to Jesus who lived that out for us. Um, we're seeing how the gospel was promised long ago. And so we're in a section now, Israel's about to leave Mount Sinai and travel through the wilderness to the promised land led by God uh, and his gracious presence. And what we're going to see this week and next week, we're really going to meditate on Israel's unbelief and failure to believe. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll take a week to look at Balaam and his talking donkey, because uh, that'll be a fun a fun conversation, because why in the world is there a talking donkey? <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about that at the end of the month. And so let's read Numbers 11 and walk towards the promised land with Israel this morning and, and see the Lord's kindness to us again. This is God's word. It says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned against them or among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand with you, there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you. 
so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And this is God's word. Uh, he has spoken to us today in love. Uh, let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come now to hear you speak to us. Uh, we come with grumbling hearts, uh, and we need our hearts to, our grumbling to be replaced with gratitude. And so give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that desire to believe that we would see Jesus, the true bread from heaven who came down to give us his life for us, that we might spread the, the good news of, of what he's done. So come and do that among us. We need your spirit. Uh, you've told us to ask for more, and so here we are asking for more. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you, if you had to make a, just throw out what you believe is wrong with the world, what's wrong with people, what kind of things would be on your list? Or maybe more accurately should, say, should ask, um, would grumbling, complaining, whining be on that list of what is wrong with the world? Right? I mean, the traditional Christian list of, of things that, that ruin relationships, that, that poison our uh, enjoyment of God and his presence with us, with, right, the seven deadly sins, pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, sloth. Right? Others might come up and say, ah, what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with people is uh, politics, or because they're so religious, they're, they're ruining the world, or there's just war out there, there's certain countries we can blame, or still others might blame different groups of people, but I, I'm not, I don't know of anyone outside of the church that says grumbling is a deadly contagion that, that is breaking down relationships and destroying our connection with the living God, right? No, I, in our world, grumbling is actually encouraged and taught, <laughs> right? Just go watch the news. Right? Are you trained in the art, or maybe not art, but just just here's how you complain, and here's who you should complain about. Um, right? And yet I know, because I know my heart, especially whenever I stand up to preach, I mean, Pastor Jim could probably tell you the same thing. Here's what I need to tell people to do. God graciously shows me uh, all the things that I'm, how I'm not living up to what I'm about to preach. <laughs> right? Plenty of things to complain about this week. And so what we're, we're, as we look at this section... What Numbers is going to show us, really from Exodus all the way through to Numbers 14, grumbling is deadly to faith. It erodes trust. And as C.S. Lewis once put it, uh, hell begins with a grumbling mood. Right? And you can actually frame Israel's story, the generation that left slavery in Egypt, as God's grace for those who grumble. Right? They grumbled as soon as God got them out of slavery in the wilderness before Mount Sinai. God graciously dwells with them and, and says, here's my tabernacle, I'm going to be with you. And then they immediately leave there and, and then grumble again. Right? Showing you that uh, the grace in Leviticus they received has not changed their hearts. And so, if grumbling is that serious, that dangerous, that problematic, we have to ask God to go to work on it, and so that's how Numbers 11 is going to help us. So let's look at first where where are the places we grumble, right? 
So as you, you jump into this, we're in chapter 11. They have, Israel has just left Mount Sinai. They've been camped at the base of this mountain, uh, getting instructions for how God can dwell with them and how then they should live in light of that grace. And it's possible where we are in chapter 11, they're only three days into the journey. Right? It's no different than we're going on a road trip with our kids, two minutes down the road, are we there yet? Right? Or I have to go to the bathroom. Or this, I'm bored. Right? They, they start complaining. But where are they? And this is, this is an important context. Where are they grumbling? They're in the wilderness. Right? And so in, in the logic of the, the biblical story, life outside of Eden is in the wilderness. And it's a dangerous place. It's full of temptations. It's full of dangers. It's full of toils and snares, as John Newton wrote. And so the wilderness is this place where God tests our faith as well as goes to work to forge our faith. And, and so for Israel, right, their unbelief is being revealed in the wilderness, in that intersection of where life stinks, yet God is with me. And that's where they grumble in the wilderness. Right? They're, it's in the wilderness of misfortune or hardship. Right? And so I, th I think it's helpful to have this category. Right? Where are you as a Christian in your journey from the point where Jesus met you and is leading you towards the promised land, right? You can, you can share your testimony using old language like this, that I once was a slave to sin and death. Um, I was a sin to misery, but through the death of the lamb, through his blood, I was set free from all condemnation. Right? And then through Jesus' resurrection, Jesus brought me through the waters of judgment and death. And now, by grace and grace alone, I belong to the one who rescued me. And then, where we are right now, that the one who loved me and delivered me from slavery is now leading me through the wilderness of suffering and testing on this journey to the land, to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, his promised rest, the new heavens and new earth. Leading us to Jesus, he's going to chase away all sorrow, sighing, and evil. All right, so our future with Jesus is fantastic, but where we live out our faith is hard. It's full of misfortune. We have things to complain about in the wilderness. So it's a good question to ask. What have you been complaining about lately in the last two, three years? where you're saying, God, this plan for my life stinks. Sometimes it feels, right, this is where Israel's at, life was better before God saved me. It was easier. I didn't have to fight. There wasn't the same struggle. As we're going to see, it's not rational, but that's where we go when we're grumbling. Right, what have you panicked about where you go, oh, I don't know, God, if you're going to take care of me? Right, doubting his provision. Or maybe... You're just bored. Right? Israel is like, oh, all we have every day is to look at this boring old manna. This boring old heaven that miraculously came down from heaven to earth and is keeping them alive, and it actually tastes good. Right? It's not those old communion wafers that taste like cardboard. It's sweet, like honey. <laughs> right? You come to church and say, oh, I've got to hear about Jesus again. I'm bored. All these things take place 
in the, what I'm calling the wilderness of misfortune or the wilderness, wilderness of testing, the wilderness of hardship. Right? That's verse 1. Israel complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And the misfortunes are just ordinary, hard things that happen when you're living in the desert. Right? It gets hot. You're hungry. We get grumpy. We get mad. We get, we get worn out. This is not how I want my life to go. And so, this first section here in verses 1 to 3, what we get is this intersection of God's presence and Israel's grumbling, and God gets angry, right? In the Hebrew, God's anger, his nose burns hot. It's much better to have God to have a long nose, because it takes a while for his nostrils to heat up, right? That's just, that's the literal translation there. But a, a fire breaks out in the camp, and so the people cry out for help. They cried to Moses, and Moses prays for them, and the fire goes away, and they named that place Taborah because the fire of the Lord was among them. Right? Judgment was there. It doesn't say anything about death. It just says this dangerous thing happened because of their grumbling. And, and so what's interesting is you have this really short narrative about people's grumbling and how, how to deal with it. You have a prophet praying for God's grumbling people to protect them from God's anger. Right? And then in verses 4 to uh, 14, you have a portrait of how, this is the ideal, right? Grumbling, sin, intercession. And then the next part, past story, you have how it all falls apart. Right? Where you, I wish we had that pattern. We needed someone to pray for us. Instead, Moses is just ticked off and complaining. Right? And so what we're shown in this passage is this is what grumblers need in verses 1 to 3. You need someone to stand in the gap between you and God's burning nostrils, his anger. Someone who will go to the Lord and say, Lord, help them. Lord, heal them. Lord, stop. Have mercy. Remember your promise. Remember your covenant that these are your people. Right? That's what a prophet does in the Old Testament. That on the one hand, they're there, just their presence is, is calling us to stop whining, complaining, and trust. They trust for God's people. Um, but you need someone to stand in the gap. Our, our sin is constantly irritating. <laughs> uh, we need someone to stand between us and God's justice to, to mediate, to intervene on our behalf. That's what this story is showing us here. Right? So, so, for example, a, here's a great illustration of what a prophet does. It's from Ezekiel 13.5. A prophet is like someone who stands in a breached wall, right? Like a, the wall has fallen down, the enemy is pouring in. The prophet stands in a breached wall of a besieged city. Go stand there in between the people and their enemies. Right? That's what a prophet does. They stand in the gap, and Moses is called to intercede and defend God's grumbling people from God's justice. Right? And that's what he does in, in verse, three, verse 2, right? Moses says, okay, I'm going to pray for them. That's my job. Happy to do it. He voluntarily stands alone, carrying the burden of the people um, for them. And so you need that pattern to then make sense of what comes next. Uh, because in verses 4 through 14, everything goes wrong, right? Because I know I, my first instinct, and maybe it's yours too, I, 
I have that question. Is my grumbling really that bad? Right? Is my muttering and whining, right? I'm not just talking about, oh, I stubbed my toe and I'm cursing the existence of that coffee table. Right? No, I mean, why is the Lord so angry right, where his anger blazes hotly to the point where people's lives are in danger? What's the big deal? Right? So let's, let's look at it. We've got to diagnose what's the big deal about the contagion of, grum- of grumbling. Right? Think of grumbling like a contagion, a disease. Right? So first, why is God so angry at grumbling? One, this is not Israel's first rodeo. Uh, just as we hold our kids more responsible based on what they know and based on their experience with us, um, Israel's in the same boat. Uh, God has been providing manna in the desert for them every day for over a year. Right? They've already walked through the wilderness and saw God keep them safe. That, that's, that's before Mount Sinai. That's the stories in Exodus 15 to 19. Right? They have seen the Lord be good, be present, be kind over and over again. And so part of the problem with grumbling is they just don't believe he's going to be the same every time. Right? So look at verses 4 through 9. It says, The rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people among them of Israel also wept. All right, and so you have the rabble, right? They're, they're in the community, and they just start grumbling, missing Egypt, missing their life before they knew the Lord. You know who the rabble are, right? This isn't, this isn't necessarily an insult of a particular unde- group of undesirables. I don't know why they translate it rabble, um, it's the same word to describe the mixed multitude of nations that came out with is Israel from slavery in Egypt. So it's the same exact word. Right? And so these are some people who were also enslaved in Egypt or just saw God destroy the, the, the world power and say, I want to get in with that God because he's, he's strong and he can take care of me. Um, he's at least better than Pharaoh. Right? And so these are all kinds of different nationalities who may not necessarily believe the same things Israel believes. And they start grumbling. They had a craving for something other than manna. And what happens is it's kind of like you have this community that's grumbling and it starts to spread like a communicable d- disease, something airborne. And Israel starts to weep. It spreads to them. And they start going, oh, I wish we had meat. Don't you remember how awesome Egypt was? We had meat to eat. It was all free, <laughs> right? Mouth-watering leeks and cucumbers and onions and garlic. We had some, some great spicy food. You could have melons, right, in the heat of the desert, the cool, quenching your thirst, running down your chin, right? And, and everybody reading the story is saying, this is just dumb. This is irrational. You were slaves. They killed your children. Knock it off, <laughs> Right? But it's not just that. They go, we're dying out here. Our strength is dried up. Uh, our very life, we're, we're, we're bleeding to death out in the desert, so to speak. That's how we would talk about it. I'm fainting. It's very dramatic, right? This is like a soccer player trying to get, a, get the ref, right? Just falling, someone, nobody's near him, and he just trips and falls looking for a yellow card. They're not really suffering in the way that they say they're suffering. It's hard, 
but they're complaining. Right? And later in Deuteronomy, God's going to say, hey, by the way, don't you remember how I led you from Egypt to this place and your feet didn't swell? Meaning the manna that he provided in the desert gave them all the nutrients in the world <laughs> that they needed to keep their bodies healthy and strong. To enough bread for each day. Right? And just to show the irrationality of grumbling, it keeps going, right? There's all kinds of ways to cook it. That's verses 7 to 9, right? It's good. It comes down. You can construct a different, a buffet line of all kinds of different ways to make your manna. And it tastes good. They made delicious cake out of it. And I know, right, so here's one commentator. He says the taste of cakes made with oil doesn't sound that great to us. And uh, Dr. Duguid says, much better is a translation. It tasted like a pastry cooked with the finest oil. It might, have, might not have looked great, but it tasted more like delicious donuts. <laughs> it literally is the bread of heaven. Or as Psalm 78 says, it's the bread of angels. It's the original angel food cake. <laughs> right? So one other detail that shows how irrational grumbling is it says um, it was like coriander seed, and it looks like bdellium. I'm like, what in the world is bdellium? Well, it only shows up in one other place in the Bible, in Eden, in Genesis. This is literally bread from heaven. This is paradise bread falling from the sky to make a, a little garden, so to speak, of Eden in the desert. It's, it's Eden bread. And so what grumbling is, it's God's people grumbling against the grace, the miraculous goodness that God has provided. And they can't see it anymore. In their unbelief, in their complaining, in their wishing for something else, they're just completely blind to all of the everyday goodness, kindness, and blessing that God has given. I don't want to look at this manna I'm going to look at everything that is wrong. Right? That's the problem. That's why grumbling is so dangerous. It kills gratitude. It ruins our joy. It erodes our faith. Because instead of looking at what we've been given, which is astounding, we demand what God is not giving. Right? See, grumbling is just a symptom. It's a symptom of our unbelief. Right, I mean, Numbers eleven twenty gives commentary about why God is so angry. It says, right, they're asking for meat. God says, I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to give, it, give you so much meat, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out your nostrils. Right, and then it's going to become loathsome to you. You're going to hate it. Why? Because you've rejected the Lord, who is among you, and you wept before him, saying, why in the world did we come out of Egypt? Which is them saying, God, I don't want you, and your plan for my life stinks. It was better without you. That's unbelief. They're grumbling. Sound familiar? If you know your human, know your heart. See, the symptom is grumbling. The disaster underneath, the tip of the iceberg, the iceberg under the water, so to speak, is our just complete lack of trust 
right? Here's an important distinction. It is good to lament. It is bad to grumble, right? But they often sound similar, complaining, right? Lament in the Bible is saying you have the right as God's child to turn to him and say, God, I live in the wilderness of misfortune. This hurts. This stinks. Where are you? Are you in heaven sleeping right now? Please get off your throne and do all the things that you have promised to do for me, right? That, that is an act of faith. Even though it sounds uh, offensive to us to be that blunt or honest, right? You can turn face to face to the living God and say, you're not, you're not providing for me. I need your help. Help me. Because right now this hurts. Right? Grumbling is what we say to God with our backs to him. Where we say, this stinks, this hurts. What a dumb idea this wilderness life is. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I might tap out. And grumbling isn't rational because it ignores all of God's past and present grace. So think about it this way. Grumbling is as rational as an alcoholic saying, life was so much better when I was destroying my liver and alienating all my loved ones. I'd rather go back because slavery is better then than this hardship and freedom with God. That doesn't make sense. Right? You can imagine a workaholic saying, life was so much better when I worked so much, 90 hours a week, and I didn't have to listen to my family's complaining. Slavery is better than freedom. Right? For those maybe with an anger management problem, it's, it's not rational. You know, remember when you were addicted to rage and life was better when I didn't have to fight my anger and feel bad about it? It felt so much better when I could just say whatever I felt like without God saying, knock it off. You should be kind and patient. Right? See, grumbling isn't rational. That, that's the point of this text over and over again. That we have a craving that controls us and we, we whine about it and it's offensive. It hurts. It's saying, God, you're not doing what you promised to do. Right? So faith asks for help. Grumbling never looks up. And here's the scary part. It's contagious. Right? A grumbling spirit is like a contagion. Because you can see the, the trajectory in the story. It moves from uh, those outside of the spiritual community, so to speak, right? We, d- we don't really know whether they believed or they, they just saw a little bit of glimpse of God's power, but they're, they're around. And so this rabble, this mixed multitude, they grumble, it spreads to Israel, it spreads to the whole camp, and it spreads to Moses the one who's supposed to defend them. Right? Everyone is miserable and weeping at the same time. This is how human nature works. And I'm listening to a podcast, and they're talking about how divided we are and asking how in the world did we get there. And, uh, and they interestingly talked about how grumbling spreads, how the loudest grumbler can persuade the quieter grumblers to get more angry and join their side. So if you think about it like this, that, that it, the loudest and most extreme complainer will over time persuade this, this group that's with them to think and grumble like them. So 
For example, if you're hyper-conservative and you believe that the world's problem are Democrats and you're not afraid to let anyone know your more moderate friends over time, the more chill people, right? If all you do is listen to that person, eventually start to see life through their lens and you start to move closer and start participating in their grumble. Maybe the same, right? I'm not picking on one group. If you're more liberal and think what's wrong with the world are Republicans and the way they think, the moderates in that group tend to get more angry and they grumble louder and louder because grumbling is contagious. Right? And that's what's happening here. It's, it's airborne. It's infecting the community. Right? And so our call as a church is to go work with people who don't know the gospel, who have all kinds of complaints against God, and we want to say Jesus loves you. We want you to, to wrestle with the claims of the gospel in a world that goes not well without being drawn over to participate in their grumbling against God. Right? We want faith to be contagious, not our angry complaining. And so I think this is a pretty strong argument um, to be a part of a Christian community where faith is contagious. Uh, to be a part of a, a group of God's people where they're willing to tell you how they're wrestling by faith with the, the, the hardships they're going through. And they're saying, I, I know it doesn't look like my life goes well, but I believe God has a good plan for my life and I'm going to trust him. That, that interrupts my grumbling. Uh, to hear someone whose life stinks and they say, God is with me, he led me to this point, and that his grace has been sufficient for each day and his grace will lead me through this. It's enough for me. I know he loves me. I know he's not mad at me. His grace is sufficient for each day's trouble. That encourages faith. But if you avoid Christian community, what happens when you start grumbling? (laughs) There's no one to interrupt you. You're just like the community of Israel in the desert without anyone to say, does anyone here see what God is actually up to? And if there's no one to say you're not seeing the whole picture, you're not seeing paradise, you're not seeing God's grace, you're not seeing Eden in the wilderness, don't you see God's present day love for you? No one will interrupt your grumbling. In which case, you're just going to be ruled over by your cravings, you'll be miserable, alone. You'll be be missing out on the great future that God has planned for you because of the present day trouble. Right. Unfortunately for Israel, right now they do not have anyone to intercede for them. Right. Look at the grumbling of Moses. You know, every time Bethany and I have added a child, we have five, there was a moment, that first moment that we paid attention to, when all five just started crying <laughs> at the same time. Usually it's in the car uh, as we're going somewhere. Right. That's where Moses is at. Except it's what, half a million people. They're all weeping in their tent. The Lord is angry at their grumbling and Moses is full of self-pity and he is mad at God saying, God, don't you love me? They aren't my kids. I didn't ask. He basically says, why don't you kill me now? Because that's the gracious thing to do because I'm sick of looking at how miserable I am. 
do this if I find favor in your eyes. He's tired. <laughs> right? Everybody remember their parents saying, I'm sick and tired of your shenanigans. <laughs> right? But when you read the, the complaint in the original language, Moses talks about himself 20 times. Why me? Why me? That's what grumbling does. It shrinks my world down to me and my problems, forgetting the, the Lord who's provided for him this far. This is the same Moses who before said, Lord, curse me so they may live. Blot my name out of the book of life so you don't destroy Israel. But here, he's saying, you know what? Just curse me and die. And so remember our pattern, grumbling, the prophet praying for them, bearing their burdens. Here, you, you don't get that. He's abandoning his post in the besieged wall, in the breached wall in a besieged city. And so when you read through the story, then, then you get how God, has, God alone is the one who has to deal with the people, every single one of them. And this is, this is amazing. This will lead us to the table here. Uh, in verses 16 to 30, right, we, we got a glimpse. God says, all right, Moses, you can't handle this by yourself. And so call all the elders, 70 elders, and I'm going to take some of my spirit that is equipping you to pray for the people and to communicate God's will. I'm going to give it to them so you don't have to carry this burden alone. Right? So if you're, if you're the only one standing between an army that's attacking your city, reinforcements are fantastic. Right? That's, this is where Moses is at. In his depression, in his anger, he's getting help. But it's not the ideal. Right? But, but just to emphasize that God's spirit is work, right? God, God gives his spirit to these 70 people and they start communicating God's will to the people. There's two other guys who aren't even there in the, in the meeting. They're back in their tents chilling and all of a sudden the spirit inv- invades their life and they start prophesying and telling the people around them. It's so uncomfortable that it feels like it's outside of Moses' authority that Joshua, Moses' right-hand man, says we should probably go stop them because this isn't good and you know what Moses says? I wish that all people, all the Lord's people, had God's spirit. He's starting to think clearly again. I wish that not only me and the leadership had God's spirit, but everybody was able to know the Lord and tell everyone else what the Lord expects to, I would add in the context, to invade and stop and intervene the grumbling. It's pretty astounding. Moses gets grace. Israel gets judgment. Moses gets grace. You get help. Israel gets a ridiculous amount of quail, so much so that it comes out of their nostrils and they're going to hate it. That's what what ends up happening. Quail miraculously show up in the desert. Quail are these little birds that get exhausted and they... It's an actual phenomenon in the ancient Near East where they fly up from the sea and, and land in the desert and rest. And so there's enough meat that everybody's able to go dry it and provide for themselves. Right? So there's grace. But there's also judgment because the moment they start to eat it, a handful of people are, we don't know how many, but the people are struck with a plague. It makes them sick. It's probably literal, right? The meat literally came out their noses because they were so sick. It becomes loathsome. They don't like the taste. Right? If you've ever had food poisoning, you don't want to eat that thing again. 
right? And so what we're saying is the wages of sin is death. And they called that place, it's verse uh, 34, the, gra- uh, the graves of craving. Let's remember the day when we thought we knew what we wanted and it killed us. It, it's not too hard to see the, the parallels to addiction where you get sucked in. I want, the, I want this and then I need more of it and the more I want it, the more I hate it because it's destroying my life. Grumbling is a plague that kills faith. So, wh- so what do we get as Christians? We need someone to intervene for our grumbling. That's what the table is all about. Right? We need someone who's not going to look at us and hear our laments, our grumbling, our whining, our complaining, and say, I don't, wanna, I don't have time to deal with your, your frustration with how hard life is. Right? We want someone who's not going to explode in anger because we're miserable. We need someone who's not going to abandon their post because the, the burden is just too much for them to bear. In other words, we need someone better than Moses. And that's what we get in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the perfect prophet. As you read the Gospels, where do you find Jesus' faith at its most astounding? When he's going through suffering. He goes out into the wilderness. He's tested three times. And every single time he passes the test. Right? Life looks like God is not with me. And he says, you know, I may be hungry, but I'm going to trust that my Father provides. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. He trusts that God provides. Right? And the, inter- the beautiful part about Jesus is he doesn't need to share God's spirit with 70 other men to bear the burden of being our prophet, our interceder, our, our savior. Right? He signs up for the burden. Right? Over and over again, Jesus, you can do this if you are willing. What did he say? I am willing with a heart full of compassion. The burden is crushing, but he signs up for it. And so no, it's Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, full of the Spirit, that stands in the gap for us. Right? He is he's the prophet who lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father where the writer of the Hebrew says he forever lives to make intercession for us. And because he forever lives, he is able to save those to the uttermost He's able to save us grumbling people from ourselves because you have someone there in God's sight forever in God's presence praying for you while we complain against his grace. Right? And so that's, that's the antidote to uh, our grumbling. Um, right? Israel, what they should have seen was manna from heaven. Who, what does Jesus identify himself as in John 6? We just read this morning. I am the true bread of heaven that came down to earth. And I give my flesh for, the, for you so that you may live. Right? And that grace is designed in the gospel to put to death our grumbling where we turn around and say, look at the life he lived. Right? Follow the logic of Philippians, Philippians 2. Right? Have this mind among you in Christ Jesus where you consider others more significant than yourselves. It's hard to complain about people if you think they're more important than you are. 
And then it says, well, what is the mind of Christ Jesus? Well, he who was uh, very God of very God, so to speak, right, became human like us, was obedient through suffering, even to death on a cross, and God raised him up to, to his right hand that, that all, every tongue may bow, or every knee may bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And then immediately after that, you know what Paul says? Therefore, do all things without grumbling or complaining so that the world may see you as shining lights. They're going to see God's presence with you. You're going to become a living mystery. Life stinks, but I'm still grateful because God is good because Jesus is with me. And so, if you're grumbling this morning, welcome to the church. It's full of God's grumbling people whom God loves more than we can imagine. And so the way you go to, bat, go to war against your grumbling heart is to look at the manna that came down from heaven. If you're grumbling, you're not thinking rationally. You're not looking at what Jesus has done. You've got to preach the gospel to your heart every single day. Um, because every single day has a different misfortune. You live in the wilderness. Not, life gets difficult. Right? And the beautiful part is you're not alone. This is, this is a, the answer to Moses' prayer, right? I wish that everyone, male and female, all the Lord's people had God's Spirit. If you become a Christian, that's what happens. God's Spirit fills you, and, and every single person in the church is filled with God's Spirit to prophesy, to communicate the grace of God to their neighbor. Right? Which makes carrying the burden of God's people a lot easier. It's pretty astounding. Right, so what, what we're called to do is, is ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, give me your spirit so that faith in Jesus becomes contagious. Put to death my grumbling. And it turns out, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Remember Luke 11? Which of you has a friend that will go to him at midnight and say, friend, give me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I've got nothing to feed him. And the friend will say, ah, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't, I can't get up and give you anything. And Jesus said, I tell you, though he will not give up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, here repeated knocking on the door, uh, he's going to rise and give him whatever he needs. And so Jesus says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so what, what father among you? If a son asks for a fish, we'll give him a poisonous serpent instead. Or if he asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That is a great thing to interrupt our grumbling. Lord, give me your spirit. I need help. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus who is praying for us right now. Uh, we thank you for your spirit that is with us. We often don't know how to pray or how to ask. And so we thank you that your spirit is interceding and praying for us in our weakness. And so I pray for Hope Church that we would be a place where faith in Jesus is contagious, that it would spread through our households, across the street, and around the world. 
uh, that, that we would shine as lights in the world because you are among us and we trust you even when our lives go not well. So now as we come to the table, Lord, uh, we ask for your spirit to proclaim the gospel to our hearts that we might become grateful for grace. In Jesus' name, amen.